0: The talk you're about to hear is by Zen teacher, Sensei Amala Wrightson.
1: Uh, today is Tuesday the 10th of September 2019, and um, this is the second part of a uh, um drawing on a story in The Hidden Lamp, stories from 25 centuries of awakened women edited by Florence Caplow and Susan Moon. And uh, the story that we're looking at is entitled in this, in this uh, collection, Dogen Sets the Record Straight. And um, we'll just start by reading the whole thing. Um, Master Ahe Dogen said to his monks, there are foolish monks who make a vow never to look at a woman. Is this vow based on the teachings of the Buddhas, or on the teachings of the non-Buddhists, or on the teachings of Mara? What are the inherent faults of women, and what are the inherent virtues of men? There are unwholesome men, and there are unwholesome women. Hoping to hear the Dharma and attain liberation does not depend on being female or male. Before becoming free from delusion, men and women are equally not free from delusion. At the time of being free from delusion and realizing the truth, there is no difference between men and women. If you vow never to look at a woman, must you then abandon women when you chant, Beings are numberless, I vow to save them? If you do so, you are not a bodhisattva. How can you call it the Buddha's compassion? So um, last week we we really just I covered most of the Buddha's life. Um, I don't recall exactly where we got to. I think we had got up to um, the account of of Master Dogen's great awakening when his his Chinese teacher Ru Jing. Um, Discovered one of the monks in the zendo dozing one evening, and and he scolded the monk, saying, "The practice of zazen is the dropping away of body and mind. What do you expect to accomplish by dozing?" And it was on hearing these words that um, Dogen realized in enlightenment. His mind just completely emptying out, and his eye open fo- opening fully. And so, um, realizing that that something momentous had happened. He went to the master's room um, to be tested. And so he, which was the tradition, he burnt some incense and and, uh, bowed down, prostrated himself before his master. And then Ru Jing, knowing full well what was going on, asked, what do you mean by this? And Dogen replied that he experienced the dropping away of body and mind. And then Ru Jing um, said, you have indeed dropped body and mind. At this point, Dogen started to to kind of resist or question. He said, I have only just realized enlightenment. Don't sanction me so easily. So he's not thinking about himself. He wants, wants rigor from his teacher. And the teacher replies, I'm not sanctioning you easily and then Dogen says what is the basis for your saying that you haven't sanctioned me easily and then Rujing says body and mind dropped away hearing this Dogen prostrated himself before his master in deep respect and gratitude showing that he had indeed transcended his discriminating mind after this this experience kept on training at um, Tiantong Tong temple there in this in South China and um, stayed for about another two years training under Rujing Jing um, and um, of course this is just really important that the training doesn't stop. Um, with an enlightening experience but needs to be deepened and refined afterwards. Dogen actually talks about this, he says the the Buddhist trainee can be compared to a fine piece of timber and a true master to a good carpenter when quality wood will not show its fine grain until it is worked on by a good carpenter. Even a warped piece of wood will, if handled by a good carpenter, soon show the results of good craftsmanship. The truth or falsity of enlightenment depends on whether or not one has a true master. This should be understood." Eventually he did um, decide to return to Japan and um, at that point, Rujin gave him um various items including a a, um, a traditional outer robe the kesa, and various um texts and also a, a portrait of of himself for for Dogen to take back to 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 Japan and now we could we could call these these different items taonga they were they were s- it's a symbolic of um, the um, transmission that that Dogan had received from his teacher his teacher said when Dogan was parting with all sincerity I give these to you a foreign monk I hope you will propagate true Buddhism throughout your country thereby saving deluded people You should not live in cities or other places of human habitation. Rather, stay clear of kings and ministers. Make your home in deep mountains and remote valleys, transmitting the essence of Zen Buddhism forever, if even only to a single true Bodhi bodhi seeker. Um, Actually, when Dogen did get back to um, Japan, he was to stay in... Kyoto, in the, really in the midst of, of, of kings and ministers and human habitation for um, I think it was 16 years and it was only at, after those 16 years that he, he moved his congregation to the mountains on the Japan sea coast. Um, we don't have time now to go into the reasons but Um, It is uh, notable that that Dobin was involved in quite um, in to some degree in in, um, the politics and uh, activities of the city before he went, he he moved to the to the mountains. He has to um, train others um, in Japan until his death in in 1253. This um, passage we're looking at is is from his great work, the Shobogenzo, it's it's a, f- a fascicle um, entitled Rai Hai Tokuzui Um, And he wrote it about um, 1240, the year 1240, when he was still um, uh, in Kyoto. And this Raihai Tokusui translates as roughly um, making a prostration and attaining the marrow. Making a prostration and attaining the marrow. Raihai means to prostrate oneself, toku to attain, and zui means marrow. Um, and this and this marrow, attaining the marrow is an important kind of uh, image that goes back to Bodhidharma and um, Bodhidharma asked his his closest, four closest disciples for them for an expression of the of the truth, and Hweka who became the second Chinese ancestor, um, remained silent. Um, his Japanese name is Eka. And Dogen said that he had attained the marrow, so the core, the, the essence, you could say, um, of the teaching. But this this title, as so often the case with, with Dogen, you can read it in different ways. Um, if we take the, the the marrow to mean the truth or liberation, we can take it as prostrating to attainment of the marrow, in the sense of revering people who have have liberated themselves, whether they're male or female. This is an important theme of the of the of the whole fascicle. Or you can you could understand it as Prostrating as attainment of the marrow, in the sense that having deep reverence for the Dharma, for the truth, um, is is indispensable to awakening itself. So both these are at play in in his teaching. Um, this this comes out um, at the in the the first part of the. Of the fascicle. Um, Just read a little bit of it before we get to our, our central text. He says When we practice supreme and perfect enlightenment, it is very difficult to receive instruction from a good master. It does not matter whether the master is a man or a woman. The only requirement is attainment of the way and accessibility. Attainment of the way and accessibility. Accessibility is an interesting one here because obviously, you if this if an enlightened master, and you don't have access, then it's not much good. This has to be this this contact. Goes on. After we've met a true master, we must sever all old relationships, stop wasting time and practice the way earnestly with great effort. We must continue to practice regardless of how much or how little expectation we have. We should attend to this practice immediately with all our might. If we study like this, those who slander the law will not trouble us. The story about the patriarch who cut off his arm and attained his master's marrow is not about someone else. The story, extreme story, you could say, of Hui Ke cutting his arm off to um, express his, his sincerity to Bodhidharma. Dogen says is not about someone else it really is about us and how we practice how, how do we practice sincerely and it's going, to be, it's going to be different for each of us but to whatever we, we think of as our as our limits where we're called upon in practice to go beyond them To be, to be willing to um, go through hardship, loss even. We are already the teacher who has cast off body and mind. And again, it's not that we cast off, off body and mind in order to get somewhere, but that already, that cast off body and mind is our true nature. And we, we realize that truth through our devotion. And really this is, this is um, uh, besides the, the emphasis on, on the equality of women and men in the, in the practice and realization of the Dharma. This is another one of the, the main themes that, that um, Dogen is, is playing with in this fascicle the intimate relationship that exists between uh, making a prostration, bowing down before the Dharma, and and realizing that Dharma. He says, attainment of the marrow of one's master and transmission of the Dharma is accomplished through sincerity and true faith. Sincerity and true faith do not come from either outside or inside, The Dharma is of far more value than our small body. Abandon the secular world and follow the way. If we think we are of more value than the Dharma, it will never be transmitted, received, or attained. So he says to abandon the secular world um, doesn't mean here that we have to, to leave worldly things behind, but that we we have to abandon our attachments to those things, work in a non-attached way as much as we can, and to to um, be willing to to ex- experience discomfort. Both and everybody knows about physical discomfort. We're now sitting but also the discomfort of facing ourselves. Later, um, Master Dogen quotes uh, the Buddha. He said, when you meet a master who proclaims supreme enlightenment, Do not be overly concerned with his social status or nationality, his appearance, his faults or his behaviour. He should be highly respected because of his wisdom, so provide him daily with good food, honour him with heavenly food and celestial flowers. Every day pay him homage with with three prostrations and keep all evil thoughts from arising. If you do such things, surely there will be a way to enlightenment." Ever since I first developed the resolve for enlightenment, I have continually practiced like that and attained supreme and perfect enlightenment right up to the present day. And the way it's translated here, here at least, it's it's not that he attained it once, but he continued to attain it, day by day, moment by moment. Therefore, and this is, this is Dogen speaking now, therefore, you should ask trees and stones to proclaim the Dharma. Seek out rice paddies and villages to hear their explanations. Question round pillars and study walls and tiles. So it's beautiful because we take, he takes this passage from the Buddha and gives it an entirely new twist in terms of what we might be paying homage to, what we might be listening to for the Dharma. Pillars, walls, tiles. Once Indra made a prostration to a fox and asked him about the Dharma. That fox was called a great Bodhisattva. The fox's action was independent of noble or ignoble Dharma. Um, and reading, reading this reminded me of, of um, a time when I was doing a solo retreat when um, I, I uh, was given some teaching by a fox. Um, it, was, it was deep winter, it was February, and very, very cold, and I was staying in this little um, cottage in the midst of um, fields, farm fields. And um, each day I did more or less a seshine schedule, um, and, and but would take a take a walk every every afternoon, or early evening, and on this particular occasion, I saw across the, across the field um, a fox um, that it, it had caught a mo- a mouse or a rat. I couldn't see clearly exactly what, but. This fox was so so happy about this that it, um, she was throwing the, the... It's a little bit grisly, sorry, about this, but it's exactly an illustration of what Dogen's talking about because he says he says here, um, the fox's action was independent of noble or ignoble karma. So it, it, it was throwing up this mouse and catching it and throwing it in the air and catching it. Hopefully the mouse was already dead. Um, but what, even though this isn't a particularly noble action, what the fox showed me was uh, playfulness. And it was, it was just what I needed at that time in terms of how to work with my koan. Uh, I had this, this tendency to kind of get get grim with it and, and be, be sort of treating it as some, uh, a locked box that I had to sort of find my way into. And instead of um, taking it more lightly, playing, exploring, um, dancing with as this as this fox was dancing with its with its little catch, whatever it was, and and if if we are really um, engaging with practice, whatever our practice is, then then we'll receive these these teachings. They're they're everywhere actually and it's it's really just a matter of getting quiet enough to to um, notice them. Question round pillars and study walls and tiles. Dogen goes on to say, however, foolish people who have never heard the Buddhist Dharma consider themselves great bhikkhus, monks, and refuse to make prostrations to young people who have attained the Dharma. They say, We have practiced for many years and refuse to make prostrations to those who began study to study late in life and then attained the Dharma. Since we have acquired the title of master, we cannot make prostrations to those without that title. Or we are in charge of regulations and should not make prostrations to ordinary monks just because they have attained the Dharma. We're talking here always about about people, monks, and others who have have some um, insight. Or we are senior priests and cannot make prostrations to laymen or women who have attained the Dharma. Um, or we we are, are sages and saints who cannot. Uh, should not be required to make prostrations to nuns who have attained the Dharma. He goes on with other examples. He says, such foolish people uselessly leave their fatherland and wander through other countries and never see or hear the Buddhist way. They, they, in some different ways, close themselves off. They They cling to their sense of self and that becomes more important than than waking up to the Dharma, being open to um, or having the humility to ask for teaching from others who they might consider to be inferior in some way in terms of status. And um, Dogen brings up the, the famous story which may have, people may have heard when Joshu, Zhao Zhou, went, started to go on pilgrimage this was late in his life He had, um, I think he was 56 when he left the temple of his master Nansen. Um, He said, I will ask instruction from anyone with superior knowledge, even if he is a child of seven, and will not talk with anyone who is inferior, even if he is a hundred. Instead, I will teach him. So... um, is abandoning um, all those those ways, those dichotomies by which we, we categorise people, man, male, female, um, young and old and so forth. Dogen says, asking a child of seven about the Dharma and making a prostration before him, even though we are much older, is very praiseworthy, and the right-minded attitude of an ancient Buddha. Also, when a monk who is seeking the way in the Buddhist brotherhood meets a nun who has attained both the way and the Dharma, and makes a prostration and asks her about the law, it is an excellent illustration of true Buddhist study. It is like quenching a severe thirst. In... 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 uh, In stating this, um, Dogen was going against an old rule that was instituted sometime in early Buddhism um, and attributed to the the Buddha. We don't know if it was, uh, came from him or not. Um, There's there's questions around that, but it was was taken to be uh, a teaching from the Buddha that um, a nun of a very senior nun um, should always make a prostration and bow down to the the most junior monk so it was it was um, kind of preserving conventions of patriarchy um, within within the Buddhist order um, in that was it was the first of the eight rules and um, although the Buddha's stepmother who, who started the, the Sangha of, of, of nuns accepted that rule um, when when she was um, well, the story goes that she accepted it but then later asked if the Buddha would would um, reverse that rule because um, it was seen as being against the the kind of the basic um, Understanding of of um, seniority within within a um, religious organisation. Dogen's Dogen's, um, teaching here was was, um, unusual for his time. He was was very emphatically um, championing championing women as equal partners. um, So much so that in the 20th century, the early 20th century, when the Soto nuns were trying to reclaim their place and and get more equal treatment. They quoted um, this particular fascicle of the Shobogenzo, um, and uh, just one example of just how unequal they were. Um, the the Soto shu, the Soto um, sect of of Zen, at, in, in 1900, um, gay gave each monk 180,000 yen per year and um, 600 yen to each nun. So there was a lot of there was a lot of inequality. Um, Even today we could say that that, um, uh, Dogen's views are not widely shared across the whole of Buddhism Um, until quite recently in Tibetan Buddhism um, nuns were were um, instructed to pray that they be reborn as men so that they could come to full alignment. Um, And in in certain parts of Thailand, in northern Thailand, um, there are stupas and sanctuaries and monasteries um, around which women are not allowed to circumambulate. Uh, Stray dogs and cats can wander in and out, but no women are allowed in. So these things, these things remain remain within uh, our tradition. Um, and, but although you could say that although Dogen's views weren't all that widely shared, they were quite exceptional. They did have an influence um, in, in subsequent generations. Um, Kazan, who is credited with with popularizing the, the tradition that Dogen brought from China and really really um, introducing it to the the masses so to speak um, he, um, and he was three generations after Dogen he actually gave transmission to a female Dharma heir um, Eku Daishi. Keizan's, both Keizan's mother and his grandmother were important influences for him both in terms of support and inspiration and his grandmother um, had been a student of Dogen's teacher Miozan and also of Dogen so she was like a direct connection back to to Dogen for um, uh, Kazan. unfortunately there aren't any records of her teaching we know of her but um, we don't know, we have no sense of, of, of what she taught or how. So now just turning back to the passage from Hidden Lamp, and we'll just have a quick look at it in more de- slightly more detail. So Master Aha Dogan said to his monks, there are foolish monks who make a vow never to look at a woman, is this vow based on the teachings of the Buddhas or on the teachings of the non-Buddhists or on the teachings of Mara? Well, I think it's not so hard to, to answer this rhetorical question of uh, Master Dogen's. Um, Mara the, Mara is, of course, the, the, um, the Buddhist equivalent of, of the devil, the divider the 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 deceiver and and what Mara does is let's say is is separation. So to to uh, make a vow never to look at a woman, what does that what message does that send to girls and women? Um, It suggests it suggests that they're, in some inherent way, dangerous, impure, um, temptresses. We could say the stuff is is familiar from from across different cultures, or we could say that that somehow women are inherently anti-spiritual. Um, Rita Gross who's written a very fine book looking into into patriarchy and Buddhism. Um, Says this says the, the most sort of understanding way of, of um, you could say, charitable way of understanding this impulse, which is so seems to be so strong, um, is that this this projection of, of impurity and temptation and so forth onto women um, by people in in um, religion. You could say, especially for monastics, it's like a it's a way of expression expressing their struggle with renunciation. So, if we, if we understand it that way, then it's it's a projection of the, the monastic struggle to to renounce um, attachments. So the attachment gets gets um, gets melded, uh, fused with the um, female sex. And the trouble with this is that when you when you've got a whole culture doing this um, to kind of projection then it takes along a long, lot of weight and it's very damaging and we and and women en- often end up we, we end up kind of internalizing that that patriarchal thinking and um, making making all kinds of assumptions, often unconscious assumptions, about what it is to be female, what it is to be male, um, how we relate to males and females. Um, In The Hidden Lamp, um, each each of these um, passages from the, the whole history of Buddhism are paired up with um, a, a teacher, a woman teacher's commentary, and um, this particular one, Dogan sets the record straight, is paired up with um, a comment by a, a, a Soto teacher and priest, um, Catherine Thanas, who um, was t- who taught in Santa Cruz, California, actually I, um, passed away um, in twenty twelve. So I guess they got this from her before she died. But she um, offers another kind of um, approach to, to um, this passage. Here's what she says. As I was considering this passage, I found a line from Rumi There is man and woman and a third thing, too, in us. That's the end of the quote. Maybe that sums up my exploration of this koan about men and women and their prospects for liberation in this life. Some years ago, a student transgendered in our sangha. When she told me about her decision to do this, I did not know what was entailed. But I found resistance inside myself as she started the hormonal changes that made possible her her transformation into a man's body. What does it mean to be a woman, a man? Is it an inner or outer thing? I felt grief when my student initially told me about her plans and realized how deeply I had bonded with her as a woman. Although she told me she wasn't going away, I didn't know what might be the outcome of of this profound change. Maybe she didn't know either. She educated me with written material and told me that not infrequently doctors decide which gender to assign to a newborn infant when the genitalia were unclear. This was interesting information at the theoretical, theoretical level, but I still found myself using her instead of him and she instead of he. This felt unintentional, but looking back I wonder if inside I wanted to continue to relate to the woman I had known, not the man she was turning into. As time passed, she took her place as male in our Kiel community and began to express himself straightforwardly in a clear voice instead of remaining mostly quiet as she had been before. Even though I found that his essence remained the same regardless of his outer form the question of gender continued to feel immutable for me and essential characteristic I saw how important the distinction between male and female was for me and I acknowledged that I engage with male and female stu- female students differently have different expectations of myself with each and different expectations of them as Menders. I think this is a very interesting point that um, we can have all these sort of unspoken assumptions about um, and and automatic things we do in relating to men differently to women. Um, and we can we can um, we can find it threatening when when some someone doesn't clearly read for us as one or the other, as male or female because when that happens you can't put that person into a box and sort of relate to them in a habitual kind of way. We were, we were talking this morning over bre- breakfast about um, a transgender teenager <clears throat> that one of us knows who gets bullied at school um, just for for the way she looks, um, uh, because the kids the kids find it threatening. How dare does this does this person um, not fit my preconceptions about what a a, a female should look like? And how comf- uncomfortable one can feel when when um, and doesn't know how to relate to this uh, person who's before us. It's, a very, it's, it's, it's and it's un- quite often quite unconscious what our assumptions are because they're so ingrained. And my guess is that they start all out really early. We start processing the people we meet and, and relating to them in different ways very early on. Um, even small children um, know about boy and girl and man and woman um, just one example of this is is um, the way that um, little children can uh, react to Richard when they meet him um, when, even when they're quite small say about th- three they they, they read him as as a grown-up as a as a man and yet they're confused by his stature and you can see their little brains trying to figure it out what's going on here so already they've internalized an idea of what what a man is from the from the buddhist point of view Gender is not something innate, uh, but it's conditioned. Um, actually, there's you know there's there's nothing that is innate. There are no fixed essences or traits anywhere according to Buddhism. No, uh, no, none of our qualities are inherent or immutable. So, if that's the case, then it becomes basic um, kind of. Fundamental mistake to categorise people on the basis of of appearances, and uh, within our um, sutra tra- um, there, are, there are sutra tradition there are quite a few accounts of um, uh, bodhisattvas who who um, transform themselves from females into males, and and males into females, the whole kind of sub-theme that goes on within the sutras. Um, In a sense, from a Buddhist point of view, you could say that we're all trans. We're, We're all beings in transition, fluid, not fixed. I think I'm run, running out of time a little bit, but uh, so I haven't got to, time to go into, into in detail, but um, probably the one of the most um, enjoyable and amusing of these um, transformations um, is in uh, the Villa McCurtie Sutra, and I'd res- recommend that people um, look that up. Um, just to fin- finish up the rest of our passage. So, the second the second um, paragraph. What are the inherent faults of women, and what are the inherent virtues of men? There unho- are unwholesome men, and there are unwholesome women. Hoping to hear the Dharma and attain liberation does not depend upon being male or female. So, Dagon again is coming back to this point of. Of what what is important is um, to r- arouse the, the the desire to realize the truth um, to 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 um, cultivate the bodhicitta the, the the aspiration to awaken in order to be able to awaken others. Before becoming free from delusion, men and women are equally not free from delusion. At the time of being free from delusion and realising the truth, there is no difference between men and women. When, when, uh, when we realise the truth, then we realise that each and every one of us is, is a node of the whole universe. Where each of us is at the at the, at the absolute center of of things, each of us equally um, think of that that thing that the, the mathematician um, Nicholas of Cusa said, um, we uh, uh, God is a circle whose center is everywhere and circumference is nowhere and this this um, characterization is as now being confirmed by, by modern cosmology, that, that, that each of us is, is um, at the very centre of, of an expanding universe, you know, expanding out in all directions. If you vow never to look at a woman, must you then abandon women when you chant, beings are numberless, I vow to save them? All beings without number, I vow to liberate. All beings if you do so, you are not a bodhisattva. How can you call it the Buddha's compassion? So um, D- Dogen in this in this passage, which comes near the end of, of the um, Raihai Tokusui, um, is inviting us actually to look at each other, to regard the one we may think of as other is really an admonition to his monks and he was talking to um, two monks in this fascicle, an admonition for his monks to actually see women, to see them not as some um, tempting object but uh, as fellow sentient beings. inspiring to wake up, just as these monks were themselves. We'll stop here and recite the four vows. All beings without number,
0: I vow to liberate Endless blind passions I vow to uproot Dharma gains beyond measure I vow to penetrate The great way of Buddha I vow to attain The teaching you have received is offered freely. If you would like to make a donation to support the continuation of this podcast service or learn more about practice opportunities at the Auckland Zen Centre, please visit www.aucklandzen.org.nz.